My name is Rick. If I don't know you already, hello. I am glad that you are here. Uh, I am thrilled to open the Word of God and read it to us today. So will you do me a favor and stand for the reading of God's Word? We're going to be in Luke chapter 11. It's going to be on your screen. Uh, you can open up in your Bible if you want or on your device. We're going to read the first 13 verses from Luke chapter 11. It says this, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Seems like a weird time to ask for bread, but nonetheless, <laughs> a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Go ahead and have a seat. We're talking about our vision series. We're talking about the community we want to become, the community that God is calling us to be. Um, and I have a question. Have you heard the phrase, can't teach an old dog new tricks? Yeah, you've heard that, right? Sort of this cliche. Are there any self-described old dogs in here? All right, there's a few. All right, okay. Well, I just want you to know that idea may not be as true as we once thought. In fact, the research around this topic suggests the opposite is true, okay? Now, I want to just take a few minutes, and I want to talk about the topic of neuroplasticity. Say it with me, neuroplasticity, okay? Some of you maybe have heard it, maybe you haven't, but here's how it's defined. It's the ability for the brain to adapt or change over time by creating new neurons and building new networks. Now, this is a fairly recent development in terms of studying the brain. Just a few decades ago, it was believed that your brain stopped developing at a young age. You've probably heard this if you're my age or older, maybe even a little younger. And that's changed. And that's actually really good news, is it not? It's really good news. Here is what the publication Psychology Today says about this new research. It says this, the importance of neuroplasticity 
cannot be overstated. It means that it is possible to change dysfunctional patterns of thinking and behaving and to develop new mindsets, new memories, new skills, and new abilities. So here's how the Reader's Digest version of this process works, okay? Nerve cells create bonds to each other. Neurons create bonds to other neurons, other nerve cells when they encounter stimulation, all right? And they weaken connections to other nerve cells as they experience stress or stimulation deprivation, meaning as you disengage something, it actually weakens the connection. These cell-to-cell connections, they create these neuropathways. I know you didn't think you were getting this when you came to church today, but here you go, okay? These neurons create these cell-to-cell neuropathways, and the more you use them, the more you engage in the behavior that connects these two neurons in your brain, the stronger those pathways become. The more you repeat it, the stronger they become. So here's an example. The first time a child tastes sugar, right? Their one-year birthday, they have that first piece of cake. You see their eyes just explode open. They are like, what in the world just happened? It creates this response in their body that their body is like, yes, sugar is, is calorically dense food and we want more of that. We want to survive. It's this natural response to a not so good thing, okay? The more that this action and response is created, it reinforces the connection between the two neurons and the neural pathway becomes more and more strengthened. Now, every time that food is introduced into the body that is not cake, the other happens, right? Every time a child has another thing of carrots or another thing of peas, ooh, super delicious, right? Then that response is weakened. And so what you see is, is the more that it's reinforced, The more that they have cake, the more that their body is like, we want cake. And the less that they have cake, the more their body is like, that's okay. We don't need cake as much. All right? So if you've ever wondered, like, why it's so hard to eat cabbage, you probably just need to eat less cake. Okay? Yeah, I'm not judging. I promise. Lots of cake over here. Okay? So here's what neuroplasticity means. It means that you can intentionally or unintentionally create pathways in your brain based on repeated behaviors and your body's response to these behaviors. So those habits that you're trying to create, they need to be reinforced, right? New year, new you, you've probably heard it, you maybe said it, you've thought it in a different way, whatever it is, we are often trying to create new, better versions of our habits and ourselves And if you want to do that, you need to reinforce it through behavior. And that behavior creates pathways that over and over and over are strengthened when you engage those things. Now, it can also mean that you must be mindful to unintentionally create bad pathways. Bad behaviors, bad things that you don't want in your life. Now, here's an example of what I mean. Now, if you get to the end of a long day and you're like, man, I've had a really, really bad day. I just want a bowl of ice cream. Okay, no big deal, right? One bowl of ice cream at the end of the day, not a big deal. Now, if you have a bad day every day for the next six months and you have ice cream, 
to reward yourself for your bad day, at the end of that day, for the next six months, you are going to have an ice cream problem. You're not even going to know why you're eating ice cream, except for the fact that your neural pathways are now like, today's the day we're having ice cream, right? You went to work today, it's time to have ice cream. And so that's basically how it works. Now, here's what's cool about neuroplasticity. While it is indeed new research, it's not new to our bodies. It's not new to our bodies. God has actually wired our brains with the pliability and the flexibility needed to retrain ourselves pretty much no matter what. So fortunately for you old dogs out there and for us new dogs, we can indeed learn new tricks. Yeah? Are you excited? Okay, some of you don't seem that excited. That's okay. We'll get you there. Now, we have been wired to create new patterns and new habits and new rhythms, as well as undo the ones that we don't want to do anymore, at least in part by regularly using the neural pathways in our brain to reinforce our desired behavior. Now, there are some behaviors in particular that really help reinforce your neuroplasticity. Let me read them to you. First one is this, engaging in positive social interactions. Now, I, I get it. These are becoming harder to come by, okay? And we have an increasingly hostile culture. But you know where one place that I know of that that's not hard to find? Foundation Church. Yeah. You're here. Yeah, and in particular, our home groups, our home group and the home groups that are represented throughout our church are full of laughter and joy and sharing and story and helping each other through difficult times, care, connection. These are the types of positive interactions that you need to help reinforce your ability to create new neural pathways. Another one is this, participating in novel activities. This is simply a new or unique activity. You can do as little as just take a new route to work. Can you believe that? How many people take the same route to work every single day? Okay, right? So just simply taking a new route to work can help stimulate your neuroplasticity. Or sitting in a new spot during our gathering. Some of you, I know exactly where you sit, okay? Some of you, not so much, good on you. Maybe just striking up a new conversation with a different person, somebody that you don't normally talk to at work or at school, that can help reinforce neuroplasticity. The third thing is engaging in play. Now, this may be hard for some of you to come to grips with, but you need to have fun. It's, it's, it's just part of how God has wired us. You need fun. You need to laugh with your family. You need to laugh with your friends. You need to go to the lake together, eat a meal together, go camping, whatever it is, play and play with people that you love. Fourth thing, being in enriched and stimulating environments. Congratulations, you're already here. Good job. But just in case you need other ideas, take a walk outside. Creation is beautiful. You never know what you might see. Go to a concert. Whatever it is, find enriched and stimulating environments. The next one, practicing and repeating positive activities, even mentally rehearsing them. Spiritual practices, anyone? 
right? We've been talking about them quite a bit over the last few months. And I just want to say scripture, community, Sabbath, these are the types of things that as you engage them, your neuroplasticity is increased and strengthened and your ability to create those new and desired habits is welcomed. The next one, engaging in, this was funny to me, mental training strategies such as mindfulness meditation. Now, I feel like they went really far out of their way to not say prayer. So I'm just going to say it. You should pray, right? You should pray. That's what it's saying. The next one, the last one is this, developing a sense of purpose in life. Now, I just thought this was a great opportunity to remind every single person here, God has given you a purpose and a mission and an identity and a value. And the only way that you get out of that is if you run away from it willfully. God has given it to you. Do not run away from it. Okay, so now here's the thing about all of these suggestions. They are thoroughly researched scientific recommendations that really reinforce what we already know to be the full life that Jesus invites us into. Jesus has promised a full life for us. In fact, I want to remind you of this. In John 10.10, this is what Jesus says. He says, the thief has come only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The only way to have a truly full, meaningful life is to know and follow Jesus. Let me just say that again. The only way to know and have a truly full life is to know and follow Jesus. But be weary because we have an enemy who is trying to destroy that, He's trying to kill everything good in your life. So you have to keep that in mind. Even right now, you are maybe tempted to be distracted by your phone or maybe to doubt yourself in a particular environment, or you're maybe even feeling like you don't deserve the full life that Jesus is talking about, but that's all a lie and an attempt from the enemy to pull you out of the things that you need. Jesus is inviting you to follow him, to experience the full life again right now as you sit in this gathering. So this verse in John is not just warning us about an enemy who is trying to destroy everything good in your life. It's also an invitation from Jesus into the full life. And the invitation starts with two words, and we've been talking about this a lot over the last five weeks. That is, follow me. Jesus says, if you want the full life, it starts with you following Jesus. Now, the last four weeks, we've been talking about that exact thing, following Jesus, what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, or some of the language we've been using is an apprentice of Jesus. Discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus is the primary goal of every Christian, and it has a very simple and powerful design. First of all, we must learn to be with Jesus. This is your starting point. If you're thinking to yourself, you know what? Today is the day. I'm finally going to follow Jesus. That's amazing. Let me tell you, start with being with Jesus. Well, how do you be with Jesus? Scripture, prayer, right? Just get into your word. Pray. Learn how to connect with Jesus. Secondly, 
Through being with Jesus, we sort of start to become like Jesus. Every apprentice, every disciple is hoping to become like their teacher. And then thirdly, we begin to do what Jesus did. The goal of every apprentice, of every disciple, is learning how to do what their teacher does and how they do it. So in other words, the disciple of Jesus, the apprentice of Jesus, looks at the way that Jesus organizes his life and we do the same. We look at how Jesus treated others and we do the same. We look at how Jesus valued people and we do the same and we listen to what Jesus taught and we put it in practice. That's what a disciple, that's what an apprentice does. But here's the thing. A lot of what Jesus did and taught was contrary to the popular practices of his day. And you're probably not surprised by this, but what Jesus did and taught is also contrary to a lot of the popular practices of our day. Are you surprised by that? No, you're not surprised by that. I knew that. You're a brilliant people. Being a disciple of Jesus, being an apprentice of Jesus, and implementing his teachings and practices, his teachings and practices into our life will take intentional focus, intentional energy, because they are indeed counterformational to the popular practices of the way. But guess what? The good news is our brains are wired to learn to do new things. Ah, there's the connection, Pastor Rick. Oh, we get it now. You were leading us down this pathway to convince us that we can learn new things. And now you're telling us we should use that to follow Jesus? Yes. That's what I'm telling you. Every disciple of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can move towards the full life that Jesus promises and away from destructive practices, destructive habits that the enemy so desperately wants you to continue doing, but you cannot do it alone and it will not happen by accident. You cannot do it alone and it will not happen by accident. So today, I want us to focus on one particular practice that I believe is incredibly powerful, and that is the practice of prayer. The practice of prayer may be, oh, did you guys not get super psyched right there? Come on now. I just said prayer. Let's go. Don't worry. I'll win you over. Don't worry, okay? Prayer might be the most underrated, underutilized, and underappreciated practice of Jesus. Seriously, you guys, it's, it's mind-blowing how little we pray given what Jesus teaches about prayer and models for us through prayer and what we see in scripture through prayer, which I'm going to show you in just a moment. But prayer from the heart and the mind and the mouth of a follower of Jesus is more powerful than we can imagine. And the reason I know this is because I think if we really understood, and this is myself included, in the power of prayer, the way that it should be understood, that we would all be praying right now instead of listening to me babble on about prayer. So that's why we're moving in that direction. That's why I want to talk about it. And if I'm completely honest, which I always try to be completely honest in front of this group, I want to experience the power of prayer that Jesus talks about. And I want each one of us and I want our church collectively to experience the power of prayer the way Jesus talks about it. 
In fact, I have a few examples that I want to share with you so that you know and see what I've been thinking about all week. This first example is in Mark chapter 11, and it comes at the very end of an interaction that Jesus has with his disciples shortly after they come across a fig tree. Now, if you don't know the story about the fig tree, Jesus is hungry and he goes to this tree and it has no figs and he gets mad. I know, like a righteous anger. You're like, Jesus, mad. He just gets, he looks at the tree and thinks to himself, this is what I imagine Jesus thinking, you literally are only having to do one job and that's produce figs and you have no figs on you. And so he curses the tree. He literally curses the tree. Well, they leave and they come back by the tree the next day and it's totally withered in one day. And the disciples go, wow, that's really weird. That didn't take long at all. And so what, yeah, exactly. And so Jesus says this at the end of that. He says in Mark 11, verses 22 through 25, it'll be on the screen. He says, have faith in God. That was Jesus's response. And then he says, truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Now, notice two very important things. You must not doubt that what you're asking for will be done. That's a lot harder than it sounds. Okay, we'll talk about that in just a second. And you must not be holding anything against anyone. Also, a lot harder than it sounds. Okay, a second example. This is from when Jesus feeds the 5,000 plus people with five loads, five loads of bread, loaves of bread, I can talk, and two fish. Okay, so you see this example. Look what Jesus does right in this moment. Luke chapter 9, verses 13 through 17 says this. He replied, you give them something to eat. This is right after his disciples were like, hey, Jesus, there's a lot of people here listening to you, and we don't have any food, and we're kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and we're not really sure what to do. We should probably send them home to give them something to eat and a place to sleep. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. What? And they answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, which it says was about 5,000 men, meaning there was more women and children. But he said to his disciples, have them sit in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. And he gave them to the, to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Notice what Jesus does right before the miracle of miracles happens. He prays. He gives thanks. Now, if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, yeah, that's pretty normal, 5,000 people off of five loaves of bread and two fish. I'd like to know where you hang out. (laughs) 
But from my perspective, that's crazy. But what's subtly crazy is that Jesus does so. He starts with prayer. He gives thanks. Okay, a third example. This is from Acts chapter 16. Okay, so Paul and Silas are in prison for praying over a girl who is possessed and she loses her power and the people turn on Paul and Silas and they're in the deepest, most secure part of the prison and they're thinking to themselves, I don't know how we're going to get out of here, but you know what? That's for God to figure out. And so in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 and 26, it says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I promise you I would not be doing this. If I had just been thrown in prison, I would be panicking. And don't lie to yourself, you'd probably be panicking too, okay? But they were praying and they were singing hymns. Also, probably not what I would be doing in prison. But nonetheless, here we are. And then it says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaking, shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chain, chains came loose. Another wild account of what happens when people are faithful to prayer. Now, there's a lot more of these in Scripture. And many of you are probably familiar with them. I've only highlighted three. But they show us that Jesus and his apostles, his disciples, they observed Jesus praying and they took the command to pray seriously because they believed in the power of prayer. Now that leads us to the passage that I read at the beginning of our time today. And this is where we're gonna wrap up. We see in those first four verses, we see that the, the disciples are observing Jesus praying and they notice the power in his prayer and they say, will you teach us to pray like that? Just as John taught his disciples, will you teach us to pray like that? And so Jesus teaches them to pray. But he doesn't just teach them how to pray. He teaches them to be persistent in prayer. Verses 5 through 8 says this. I'm going to read them to us again. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Jesus uses the picture of a friend who will not lend out loaves of bread because it is too late and the door is locked. But then he says, your friendship, it will not be enough of a motivator. I hope we're better friends than that, by the way. But just in case we're not, Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, you know what will? If you keep asking. If you keep asking, if you stand outside the door and you keep asking for the bread, for your friend who's traveling, keep asking. Eventually, your shameless 
audacity will get that person out of bed and you will get a response. And then Jesus makes this final application in verses 9 through 13. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask, seek, knock. These are the instructions from Jesus. Be persistent in your prayers. Be persistent in your prayers. Because the one who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, for them, the door will be opened. Jesus uses this teaching to show sort of the escalating levels of commitment from the praying person. He says this, ask, but don't just ask. If you really want it, seek it out. But don't just seek it out. If you really need it, if you're going to keep asking, knock on the door until your request is heard and a response is given. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Don't stop praying for the things that matter the most to you. Don't stop praying for the things that matter most. Now, I know someone needs to hear this today because they are on the verge of giving up on their prayers. Don't stop praying. And don't get bogged down into that thinking, yeah, but what if it's not God's will? Or I'm not even sure if I should really be asking for this. And I want to say this to you as kindly as I can. And this is how I said it to myself as I was preparing, just so you know. Don't you dare presume to know what God will or will not say yes to. Don't you dare presume that. And don't you dare presume to know what God will or will not do in your life. Don't you dare. That's not your position. Did you not just hear, as I did again, Jesus say, if you ask for that mountain to be thrown into the sea and you believe it, you will have it. That's crazy talk. But Jesus said it. Jesus said it. And if you believe it, it will be done for you. Now, I fancy myself both a person of reason and a person of logistics. If you bring to me a problem, I think I can help you solve that problem. But there are no logistics and there is no reason in the world why I should be able to throw a mountain into a sea. Nothing. No reason. No logistics. I would never even attempt to plan that. 
And the good news is God didn't ask you to be the reasonable person. He didn't ask you to be the logistical person in this matter. What did Jesus say? Pray and believe. Pray and believe. He doesn't say, hey, when you get a chance, why don't you come to me with a really good plan for that problem and then present it to me through prayer and we'll talk about it. He didn't say that. He said, pray. You're not the logistics person. You're not the reason person. You're the prayer person. You've been commanded to pray and to pray persistently, to go as far as banging on the door. God, I want this. I need this. And if the situation seems decided, it may or may not be, but it doesn't matter because you've been commanded to pray. And if the diagnosis has been given, you may or may not be healed. Regardless, you've been commanded to pray. And when it seems unreasonable to expect anything good, I want you to go around reason to prayer. Because God is the final decider. He's the great healer. He is the one who created reason. God is not concerned with what's reasonable. He wants you to pray. And the reason is, and this is what's so awesome about the way Jesus finishes his teaching on being persistent in prayer, he talks about how good the Father is. Remember, he says, even you, fathers on earth, who you love your children, if they asked for an egg, would you give them a scorpion? And that's, of course, no. And he says, even you, who understand that, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts. Imagine how much more the God of the universe wants to give to his kids who ask. Prayer is a gift and it is essential. And Jesus, in the biggest moments of his life and in his ministry, he modeled prayer. Right? We read a couple of them at the beginning. We talked about the Garden of Gethsemane a couple weeks ago where Jesus is on the verge of being crucified and he goes and he prays. He's not trying to figure out logistics. He's not trying to be reasonable. Well, this is really what I'm supposed to do, so I guess I'm going to go do it. He prays, God, if you can take this cup from me, please do. But if you can't, I will be faithful. Regardless, I am going to pray. And if Jesus prays, we pray. And just in case you're not sure how to pray, Jesus, at the beginning of this teaching, he gave us a really powerful and semi-simple pattern to be modeled at. He started with, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. He began with praise. When you pray, come to the Father and say, God, you are incredible. Thank you for what you've already done. And then he says, give us our daily bread. He petitions God for the things that we need every single day, food, water, shelter, whatever you're petitioning God for, just know that Jesus modeled that. It's okay to ask. And then he says, forgive us our sins 
as we forgive those who have sinned against us. We have the gift of confession in our prayer. And then lead us not into temptation. We ask God to protect us and those around us. We intercede on their behalf. So we have adoration, petition, confession, and intercession. And the reason why this is such a big deal is because everything we do at Foundation Church hinges on prayer. Everything we do. And everything important in your life, if I'm honest, hinges on prayer. And so that's why I said at the beginning, if we really believed in the power of prayer, we wouldn't be listening to me. We would be praying. Thank you for listening to me, but hope you know now that what you need to be doing is praying more. I need to be praying more. We all need to be praying more. It matters too much. So we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to pray. After prayer, we'll take communion. I'll come back and lead us through that. But I want to take just a few moments and I want us to pray because every single person in this room has something that is too big to not pray for. They do. And if you want prayer from people who are on our prayer team, we have a prayer team right over here underneath the storm sign, Mike and Karen, they would love to pray with you. But here's what I'd love for you to do. If you have your phone or something to write with, I would love for you to pull that out, create a little note, create a little space where you can make a note of this. I know you're like, wow, get your phone out. Weird, Pastor Rick. I don't want you to forget what you're praying for. Because again, the thing we're praying for is the thing that's too big to not pray for. So maybe you don't need your phone. That's fine. Maybe it's already so in here because you need it so badly, that's okay too. But I want you to note one or two things that you desperately need God to do in your life. And every day, starting with right now, I want you to pray for two to three minutes and ask God, God, I know it sounds unreasonable and I'm not sure how this is gonna get done but you've commanded me to pray. And that's what we're gonna do. So if you bow your heads and close your eyes, just quietly pray to yourself for that thing right now.
God, we lift up these requests. Regardless of how difficult and unreasonable they seem, we know that you are the God of the universe. We're casting a mountain into a sea is a reasonable request. We bring the things to you that we need and that we want. And you are a good father who said you will take care of your children. God, I pray that we would not stop asking, that we would not stop seeking, that we would not stop knocking on the door for the things that we are bringing to you. And God, regardless of what the response is, we know that you love us and that you have our best in mind. And we worship you for that. So may we not be discouraged from prayer or for the things that we are asking for, but that we would see the good in it. However you meet that need, however you answer that request, God, that we would worship you regardless. And may we be a people of prayer. May we be a people who believe in the practice of prayer, in the gift of prayer, and the power of prayer. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna take communion together and then we're gonna sing a song. So in just a moment, I'm gonna turn you loose. You can walk to the back and you can grab a cup of juice and a cracker. And that's all they are. In our context, in our tradition, what we do is we do this as a remembrance. We do this as a symbolic gesture of remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. And what's so great about it is we can tangibly touch it and we can taste it. And those things remind us as we eat the cracker and juice that is a tangible reminder of God's grace, of his mercy, of his love for you. It's a reinforcement of the things when he says, hey, pray because it matters that we're not just praying to this idea or ethereal God, but we're praying to a real God who demonstrated his life and his character through Jesus, recorded in scriptures, so that when we go to receive the communion, we can reflect on that. It's really a beautiful practice. So will you stand with me? I'm gonna bless the communion elements. You can go to the back, grab them with your family, receive them, and then return to your seats as we sing. This is also a continued opportunity to get prayer with Mike and Karen. They would love to pray with you. God, thank you again for the tangible, gracious reminder of communion as we receive the cracker and the juice, the bread and the cup to remember your blood spilled and your body broken on our behalf. God, even as we receive it today, may we be reminded and may we be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, we can grab the elements.